Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Hey folks, if you haven't met before, my name is Patrick. I'm the pastor here at North Decatur United Methodist Church. And I'm really grateful to be with you this morning. I'm grateful for your presence in this time of worship. I'm grateful for God's presence in the space that exists between us. Um, many of us live in very different places, and yet somehow we find ourselves united by the worship of God exactly where we are. So whoever you are, whatever this week has looked like for you, I hope you know that you are a beloved member of this community and a beloved member of this kingdom of God that we're all hoping to step deeper and deeper into, trusting the one who made us, the one who reconciles us, and the one who sustains us in the path that we walk together. So I am grateful for you. If it were not for you, uh, this church, this community, this journey that we're on wouldn't exist the way that it does. So thank you for being a part of this um, incredible movement that we're called to be a part of. This movement of bringing new life into the world has existed for really all of time. It's sort of a foundational story about who we are as people of faith, trying to learn how to best interact with the God who created us and the God who in the very first moments of life called us good. And we've been navigating that unique relationship for generations. And so what we have in scripture is a series of stories, some of them perfectly factual, some of them more uh, literary in character, some of them feeling even almost like myths. And then there's also poetry and letters and all of these really unique ways of conveying our generational pattern of trying to understand our relationship with the God who created everything that we see and feel and touch and smell. Um, it's a challenge to navigate God's presence in life, especially in circumstances where suffering exists and especially in circumstances where injustice is so prevalent. I know that's something that we here at North Decatur have lifted up on numerous occasions to acknowledge and name the injustice of racism and sexism and heterosexism uh, in, in the world today. And we certainly will continue to do that. And the reason we do that is because we foundationally believe in the original blessing that God named for all of humanity. So out of that original blessing that God names for humanity, God sets a path for us through a series of covenants, a series of mutual promises made to us, for us, with us, uh, so that we could continue to grow into that original sacred identity, because so many of us have lost it, either because we've been told things uh, uh, that, that aren't true about us, that we are not worth something, or because we have an overinflated sense of our value over others, and both of those things deserve being challenged. Um, so throughout our scripture, we see a series of interactions with God, um, some of them um, being really lovely and life-giving and hopeful, and some of them coming with 
some complicated judgments. And so today we're actually going to look at one of those really complicated moments with God and our mutual story with God. But first, I think we need to take a little bit of a step backwards. We've been talking about covenants, and we started with uh, the covenant made with the original, the first people made. You know, our scripture names them Adam and Eve. Whether there was an actual Adam and Eve, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that God put us to be stewards of the land. And then the next, we, um, we as a people, have learned that we don't necessarily trust God's um, uh, presence in that simple abundance. And so we stepped out of that uh, land of promise into a world that inevitably led to some chaos, which is where the story of Noah takes off, right? His, new his family is given a new lease on life, and they're afforded this opportunity to create something new. And the covenant there is that God would never bring destruction against all of humanity the way that God had with all of um, Noah's uh, neighbors and friends, uh, which is complicated in its own right. And we talked some about that a few weeks ago. And then we talked about how God chose a particular people, uh, the lineage of Abram or Abraham, to be a blessing not only for that lineage of this faithful woman and man, um, but also the lineage that would come and how those people who uh, would become a blessing for all of the world so that all people around the globe uh, would come to know the love of God. And so we see, we follow that lineage for a long time and we get to Moses who becomes a uh, sort of troubled leader of a group of released slaves through the wilderness. And that's where our story sort of picks up today. So if you remember the story of Moses, it's been, uh, it's really more popular culture than it really is even scriptural in these cases. Whether you watched uh, The Prince of Egypt or um, uh, the, from the Disney made, or if you watched the Charleston Heston Ten Commandments, you know a bit of the story about how Moses was born um, to a Hebrew woman who was a slave, but then was sent down river and was then raised up in a life of privilege by a young princess in Egypt. He finally was able to witness the cruelty of the empire that he had gained so much privilege within, and he sort of ostracized himself by killing one of the slave drivers in defense of a Hebrew slave. And so he goes out into the wilderness on his own for 40 years and then comes back to Egypt specifically to work alongside God to release all of the Hebrew people, the lineage of Abraham, from slavery. And that's exactly what he does. He comes and they argue and there's a whole bunch of chaotic stuff with 10 plagues and all sorts of crazy things. I highly encourage you to read that in the book of Exodus. It's beautiful. But eventually the Hebrew people are released. They um, escape and they go off into the desert, into the wilderness. And of course, the assumption would be that, you know, if God's on your side, everything's going to be easy. But the problem is that when you step into the wilderness, when you step into uncharted territory, life does not get easier. In some ways, it even gets harder. The difference is that you're free in that difficulty. And so we see the Hebrew people navigate that. It's incredibly complicated, and it's filled with um, many, many, many words about how these released slaves grumble. They complain to, about Moses, they complain about God, they complain to Moses, they complain to God, 
each time saying um, some version of God has clearly brought us into the wilderness to die. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out into the wilderness to die? And each time the people of Israel, the people who would be the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, each time they cry out, each time they complain, uh, Moses brings that petition to God and then God meets their need. When they say, we're thirsty, we're gonna die of thirst, God provides a way for them to have a drink. Uh, when they complain about not having any food, God provides manna in the desert so that they would never go hungry. Uh, when they complain that that food isn't tasty, God provides quail, and that becomes a meal for the people in the desert. And of course, they eat so gluttonously that it becomes its own sort of, um, sort of, sort of curse. They eat it so much to get sick, right? So more, I want to say it's like 15 times that the Hebrew people uh, while walking on their way to the promised land, defeating uh, armies that come against them, finding miraculous food and water in the wilderness, um, maintaining their sense of safety and seeing God lead them as a pillar of fire and smoke before and behind. There's 15 instances of the people of uh, the Hebrew people, the people of faith who are a part of this story uh, they complain and cry out and um, demonstrate their lack of faith. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. It just sort of is what it is. They didn't trust that God was leading them to good things. They had a lack of faith that God was working for their best interest. So God's been very patient through this whole wilderness story. God's provided all of their basic needs, has provided them leadership and clarity, provided them protection and all of these sorts of ways. And we get to Numbers chapter 21, and we see God finally seem to hit uh, God's breaking point. If you're a parent, you may be familiar uh, with this uh, breaking point, but the people of God cry out, and God's response is to send a whole bunch of serpents after these um, people of faith after God's own people, which is hard to hear of God because we think of God as being compassionate and loving and good and merciful and all these things. But again, the story of scripture is about, is a, is a, is a long series of very different stories written by very many different kinds of people trying to navigate, trying to understand a relationship from the child's perspective of how to relate with a parent. And some of that story includes stories about how that parent, that God, is learning also how to be a good parent for the child. And so we see in this moment, God experienced one of those sort of breaking points. And so God sends um, a bunch of serpents into uh, this encampment and people uh, experience fire, which is its own really beautiful literary thing because Earlier in Numbers, when the people cried out, God spoke to them in fire. And that's the same sort of language when these uh, Hebrew people are bit by the snakes, the venom the, um, that, that's in their blood. The word there is fire. Uh, when the people complain, God brings um, fire in some ways symbolically, in other ways, um, something very uh, felt. And so these Hebrew people, uh, start getting bit by these snakes and they're experiencing the burning that comes from it and they cry out. Not only do they cry out, they acknowledge their part in what has gone wrong in the, rel 
relationship. They say we're sorry for crying out. God has always been there for us. Please speak on our behalf. This is to Moses. So God speaks to, uh, Moses speaks to God, and God tells Moses simply to take one of those serpents and wrap it on a staff as a, in, in brass and uh, hold it up. And anyone who looks upon the servant will be saved. Now, this is really interesting for, um, for a, lot of, a lot of reasons. Maybe it's just interesting to me. This is all very Bible nerdy, and I hope that's okay with y'all because it's, it's really interesting. So this, this is a whole story about navigating the covenant with God and how, how we do that together and how um, God lives into that, how the people live into that, what's our role. It's all really trying to understand how we as people of faith are meant to step into God's presence, how we're meant to live as people of faith. And it also teaches us something about the ways that God is faithful to the covenant, right? So there is an experience of suffering that comes, but as soon as an attempt of reconciliation is made, even after the 15th time of complaining to God in the wilderness, God immediately responds and offers that symbol of judgment, the serpent, that sign of judgment as, as the symbol of salvation from it, which is really interesting. And it's worth thinking about. What does it mean that the symbol of judgment could also be the symbol of salvation? An unhealthy relationship and outcomes from within an unhealthy structure being a symbol of what hopeful, abundant life could be. And it's that interpretive lens that Jesus brings in the Gospel of John. Now, I don't think Moses was thinking about Jesus when he held up a bronze staff, but I do think, I know, because it says so in Scripture, that Jesus was thinking about Moses when he started contemplating what the cross meant. When he has an interaction with Nicodemus under the cover of darkness, one of these religious leaders who was hesitant to follow Jesus because of what that might mean for him politically and, um, and everything else, Jesus has a conversation with them about what it means to be born again, to be given a new lease on life without that baggage behind. See, he's describing what it means to be reconciled in full. There is no old flesh. There is no old broken relationship. There is only newness, only abundance. There's no memory of past wrongs. There's no memory of past hurt. There's simply an opportunity for us to move forward together. And the story that Jesus points to in the third chapter of John, in this conversation with Nicodemus, is a story of Moses lifting the brass um, serpent into the air for the Israelites to look to. The symbol of judgment becomes the symbol of salvation. The symbol of broken relationships becomes the door through which to walk into abundant, faithful relationship. We have to look 
at what we have done wrong before we can experience transformation, new life, and hope. We have to gaze upon the serpent, acknowledge its destructive path in our lives in order to be transformed by it. We have to acknowledge the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the transphobia in our church, in our communities, in the world beyond those things, and even in our own lives before we can claim new life beyond it. We have to gaze upon the destruction, bear witness to it, and then step into new life. We can't do one without the other. We have to be able to acknowledge our place in a broken system in order to overcome it. And that has to be done intentionally. And so when Jesus tells Nicodemus, and when he's talking about this idea of new life, and when he's talking about holding Moses's bronze staff in the air, he's making a very particular kind of claim about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't imperial threat, which is what many of the Israelites were hoping for, right? A new king to destroy Rome. Instead, Jesus will be lifted up on the cross for the salvation of all of the world. But in order for us to experience salvation, we have to, acknowledge, we have to be able to acknowledge the part that we play in society that would allow someone to be put onto a cross anyway. We can't do one without the other, especially those of us who hold any place of privilege in society these days. We have to be able to acknowledge the serpent biting at our heel in order to not be taken in by its poison. If we try to pretend like this is all okay, then we will succumb to it. The venom will take our lives. But if we can acknowledge the pain and the hurt that it is causing, look to God as a beacon, as a abundant, present God, who is willing to be lifted up on our behalf in order to overcome these societal evils, that will be where transformation comes. But we can't do one without the other. We can't pretend everything is okay. The venom will get us. And so I invite you to learn, especially during Lent, to step into that mode of confession. Learn from the Hebrew people in the wilderness. We have complained and we have been a part of the problem. We have valid concerns and we have perpetuated wrong. We can name both of those things so that they can both be transformed, so that we can live in abundance alongside one another, trusting one another and trusting the presence of God to transform us all. I'm grateful to do that work with you.
I hope you have a blessed weekend. And I look forward to the conversations that come through this. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.